we're going to really focus on the first two verses. And we'll take up verse 3 just a little bit and then more next time. 22 verse 1. Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Now remember that street is a street of gold with transparent gold. And on each side was what? The tree of life. Amen? A tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. That's wild. Especially, how many of you get excited about fruit season? Spring comes along, right? Chad's hand went up first and fastest because he's carnivore now. Carnivore plus, so he can have the fruit, you know. And when you eat, I'm, I'm doing a whole foods thing right now, so I haven't been eating sweets for some time. And I can't tell you, I always love fruit a lot. But I have to be honest, my fruit eating was, had diminished to a great degree because you have a sweet tooth. You, you know, you eat fruit here and there. Now I'm like, I can't wait to eat fruit because I don't eat sweets now. And it's like, it's God's candy. Man, I'm like, pfft. Especially if you eat fruit with cottage cheese. I don't know if you like cottage cheese, but it's so good, guys. Okay, don't get me started, man. Uh, I have a fallback if my ribs that are on my grill right now are burned up when I get back because the thing could have caught on fire again. As long as the house doesn't go down, we're good. But if the house goes down, we're still good, Lisa, because we have a home in heaven. This message is real important. Okay? Okay, I got to stick to my notes. I'm getting way out, way out there now. But anyway, uh, guys... 12 kinds of fruit. I look forward to certain seasons because all of a sudden in the produce section, uh, you know, there's all these beautiful fruit, right? But can you imagine new fruit every month from the same tree? And there's all these trees on both sides of the, guard of, of the river of life. And it doesn't say each tree bears the same exact kind of fruit. There could be thousands of kinds of fruit, you know? I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but, or it could be every 12 months, there's 12 kinds of fruit, but the next 12 months, or this tree bears 12 types of fruit through 12 months, and this one, 12 different types of fruit, different fruit each month for each one, that is. So you can do the math, it'd be really easy to get thousands of different kinds of fruit. And when you look at the, the, the universe that God's made and the variety of thousands, millions of different species of creatures he's made, it's an easy thing for God to do, amen? I'll tell you this, you'll never be like, oh, this fruit's not good, you know, I don't want it. I, there's no fruit. You'll be like, it's going to be, I'll tell you this, I know it's better than whatever you like best. What's your favorite cut of meat or your favorite fruit or your favorite vegetable? Just yell it out. Wait, 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 say it louder. Mango. mango, ooh, I just had some mango for the first time this year. A few days ago, my wife cut some up that I bought at the supermarket. Mango's so good when it's ripe. Mango and sticky rice, but I can't have sticky rice now, but I can have the mango. Okay. <laughs> uh, anybody else? I mean, everybody said things. Keep going. Passion fruit. Passion fruit. Ooh, that's good. What's that? Watermelon? I love watermelon. Ever since I was a kid, I think that's my favorite fruit when it's sweet and gold and ripe. Anybody else? Peaches are right up there, though. Hey, come on. Strawberries. Strawberries. What about meats? Strawberries are amazing. Meat? Salmon. Ribeye. Wagyu. Ooh, wagyu. Fish? What? I thought you said corn dust. Carne asada. Ooh, that's good meat. Amen. Ribeye, heard, you know. Oh, man. Sushi. I can tell you what. This fruit is going to blow away sushi, ribeyes, watermelons, guava, mango, whatever you mentioned. Bite infinitely. I know that because the Bible says there's no pain in heaven. I'm never going to think... Man, I just wish there was sushi. 
I just wish there was a, I could have a ribeye. You're never going to have a thought like that ever. You're going to be like, wow, praise God. And that's just going to be one of the things you're wowing God about over is, is, is his food and so forth. I'm doing this part at the beginning of the message so you don't start looking at the clock at the end and getting really hungry, you know. But uh, it's interesting. Verse 1 again. Let's look at verse 1. Then he showed me a river of water of life. Okay. Clear as crystal. Now, he shows him this river of water of life. And then he shows him this, 12, this tree bearing 12 kinds of fruit. And look at the middle of verse 2. It says, and the leaves of the tree were what? For the healing of the nations. I've told you, I, you know, book of Revelation is like kind of like the back of my hand. I know this book by the grace of God really good. And if you ask me about just about any verse in, in the book of Revelation, pretty much any verse, I'm able to give you, I believe, a very good biblical explanation. One thing I struggle with, and I've struggled with until just recently, is, is if you ask me, you know, why are the leaves for the healing of the nations when everybody's already been resurrected. You're either in the lake of fire or resurrected, and when Jesus talked about the resurrection, there's no more death. And why is the tree of life there for the healing of the nations? How are the nations being healed? I've never been satisfied with a commentary on this. I've never had peace about feeling that I understood exactly what is going on there. Uh, this, uh, a couple mornings ago, I woke up just after 4 a.m., and <laughs> this scripture was on my heart, and I began to seek the Lord on it and cry out to him and, uh, and pray, you know. And it's really interesting. I felt I got some insight on this. I don't know that the Lord gave me that. It wasn't like a vision, so I'm not saying the Lord said, this is what it means, Joe. It wasn't like that. But I got, and then I began to cry to the point of, uh, you know, the point of uh, when you're kind of like, like that, I was just so grateful because the, I saw so much beauty that I hadn't seen in New Jerusalem that I had seen before as a result of those prayers. And I thought, Lord, I just, you know, I, I got up and uh, would, would type and then I'd come back to bed and couldn't go back to sleep, type, go back to bed thinking I'd get a little bit of sleep, type, you know. My wife's probably thinking, what are you doing at 6 a.m.? It's like, okay, it's over, you know. I'm just going to stay up. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share some of the things in that really minister to my heart that make a ton of sense to me and hopefully to you as well. And it makes me long. That's why I said, Jimmy, you're going to long for this home you've never been at, hopefully even more, you, all of you guys, after we get into this message. We've seen some beautiful things, you know, in chapter uh, 21. But 22 is just mind-blowing. And here uh, he says, he sees this river of life. And then this healing, these healing leaves. And so you got fruit and you got leaves, both productive. Then in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. If I really exegete verse 3, It'll service, it'll go too long, but I want to at least mention verse 3, and I want to tie it into my message, and we'll look at verse 3 and other verses next time we're together. But you notice this river. Then he showed me a river of water of life. Uh, that river was mentioned in chapter 21, if you remember when we were in chapter 21, verse 6. Go ahead and look at that, verse 6. Then he said to me, chapter 21, verse 6, uh, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to those who thirst from the spring of the water of life without cost. So it's free, amen? We don't pay to get this water of life. 
and it's the very water of life. And verse 3, 7 says, he who overcomes, it's not just for those who say they believe in Jesus, it's for overcomers, those who truly believe in Jesus, truly trust him and follow him and uh, get through their trials victoriously, continuing to follow Jesus. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. So it's for the overcomer you want to continue to trust and follow Jesus. Now, this river, verse 1 now, chapter 22, let's look at it in more depth. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. It's the water of life. Clear as crystal. It's clear as crystal. I mean, there's a lot of rivers. I've been looking at different rivers through this little meditation I've been having on rivers recently. And there's some very polluted rivers around the world. In fact, there's a list. When you look at most polluted rivers, lists come up of the most polluted rivers in the world. And I'm not going to take you through them because it's just a list of very polluted all over. Because cities are often made around rivers. We'll talk about that in a little bit more depth later. But this river is pure and clear. And it's typologically referenced in the book of Ezekiel, which mentions its depth. And man, you ever see a clear river where you can just see the sea creatures far down? It's just incredibly beautiful. And that's what's going on here, but it's crystal clear. I mean, it's as clear as could be. Just like the streets of gold are crystal clear. And there's no filth. There's no pollution. There's no sin, as we've talked about in New Jerusalem. And notice it's coming from the throne of God, but not just the throne of God, but also the throne of the Lamb. And this is one of the things that just nailed me. The more I meditated about this and prayed about it, there's a reason he says it comes from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. In Revelation, you see that both the God, Father and the Son are the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? In the book of Revelation chapter 21, you see that they're both called the light. They're both from the Father and the Son. They are the light of new Jerusalem. Amen? And their names are on us. And we see all these things where they're, the two of them are one. And we see this, the, 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 uh, the river of life represents the Spirit of God, as you'll see. So you have the whole triune God referenced here. But it's interesting. Why does he say it comes from the throne of God and the Lamb? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Then you have Jesus at his right hand. Their throne. But it comes from the Lamb is mentioned. And he's mentioned not, it doesn't mention him as Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. But it mentions that he's a Lamb for reason. And the river coming from the throne of Father and Lamb for a reason. And all this is supercharged with, with meaning when you see it. And I hope you never read this book again uh, the same when you really focus on this and look at this. Now it's interesting here too because it comes from the throne of God. There's no longer a hydro, uh, uh, hydrologic, uh, hydrologic cycle. We depend on the hydrologic cycle. That means, you know, the, the ocean water is evaporated, right, into the clouds and the clouds drop the, the water onto the earth and, and the ocean water and some river water is then evaporated into the clouds and it continually drops back to the earth. Well, there'll be no more sea, it says, right? There'll be no more sun, we've read too, right? So we don't get, it's kind of interesting, we don't get our water from that, that natural means of the hydrologic cycle that God created. Now it's coming right from his throne. And that's really profound when you think about it. Now, uh, Mary is on vacation and Greg uh, are on vacation right now for a couple weeks and uh, miss them. But I know whenever they go on vacation, typically uh, 
they go up north, they go to the American River, and they love to just play in the river, hang out in the river, and, and they love the river. I remember I talked about, they, have the, they love their vacations to go into the river. And it's funny because I'm, I love the rivers. My wife and I love, most of us like water. Ocean, won't be an ocean, we'll have something far better than the ocean. We'll have the river of life. And you'll never think, I wish there was an ocean. No, if, if, there's, if there's waves, in, if, if you're missing waves, um, and there'll be waves there in the, in, in the river perhaps. I don't know, but you're never gonna think back, I wish there was an ocean. There's no wishing back. There's no thinking you can improve. You cannot improve. That's the cool thing about all this. But this beautiful river, I, when I was a kid, I used to go to Cespi. And you know, it's like a river. I mean, you walk, you can wade in it pretty deep. And I'd walk up it for miles, you know, with my brother Tom and the friends I hung out with before I knew Jesus. You know, we'd dive off the rocks and, you know, you could fish it and so forth. And, uh, uh, just putting your head under the waterfalls on a hot day. There's something incredibly beautiful about rivers that experiences I still cherish and remember to this day. Like, wow, I just love going down, you know. We call it Cespe Creek, although it's more like a river, but it's like a creek in area, uh, creek in areas too. But we'd walk for miles sometimes, just, you know, catching water snakes and watching, you know, the uh, dragonflies just dip down and, you know, and, and hunt and stuff. And it's just, it was a blow of mine. There's such beauty to it. And I miss that. And I'm like, man, this river is going to blow every river away in any concept that you have of a river away. And that's going to be a place that we're going to hang out eating all kinds of incredible fruit as we serve our, 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 our God. We worship him. We love him. And yes, we'll still serve him. That's the end of verse 3. But we won't serve him with sweat and tears anymore. There'll be no more tears. And the curse brought the service by the sweat of the brow. It'll be a joy. You know, how many, like to, how many like it when you're, you're serving and you're bearing fruit and there's so much joy in that, but we're still going to serve him, but without any of the pain that goes along with service in this world. Now, we're going to talk more about that river in a minute, but look at verse 2, when he talks about the, the, the uh, in the middle of the street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bringing 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month. Now it's interesting. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. God gave them access to the tree of life. It could be summed up. It's been said that the Bible could be summed up by three trees. Three trees can sum up the message, a lot of the message of the Bible. Uh, and that's very, very true. And one of those trees, and we'll talk about all three of those trees today, and you should know about all those trees because you have a relationship to each one of them or you don't, and you need to. The tree of life is a tree that bears all this fruit, but when Adam and Eve, the first human beings that we've all descended from, sinned, and we have received through original sin, we've been stained by their fallen nature, and we all have a fallen sinful nature. We don't receive the stain of their guilt. Our guilt is our own when we sin, and we pass the age of accountability and we sin, you know? But it's interesting. Uh, what did God do? He banished them from partaking of the tree of life. Some say they never took of the tree of life. Can't say that. Doesn't say that. We don't know. It's very likely they did were partaking of the tree of life. Then they were banished from it. But we don't know for sure that they had taken from the tree of life either. It doesn't say. But we do know this. Look what the Lord said when the ground was cursed with thorns and thistles. Then the Lord, our, the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, because they partook of that second tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said you could eat from all the trees of the garden. Just don't eat from this tree. This one tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Simple, right? 
They got around to the tree of knowledge and evil. Satan deceived Eve. Eve gave to her husband who ate with his eyes wide open. Uh, they, uh, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Could you imagine man partaking of the tree of life and accessing it in his fallen evil state? He'd be perpetually wicked. So God cuts him off in verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and the beast of the garden of Eden uh, uh, and the beast of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. These are the most high-ranking angels we know of. And the cherubim, Satan was a fallen cherub, and the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. No one was able to access the tree of life at that point. You had these radical angels that have four different faces, right? The lion, the ox, the eagle, and the face of a man. And they have these fiery flaming angels. You're not getting anywhere close to that tree of life. Now, it's interesting, this tree of life that we see here, now we have access to it, is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. Uh, it's at least alluded to, at least in typological form, when it refers to the millennial temple in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. But this the tree of life that we're accessing is even beyond the millennial uh, tree of life. But it, we read this, by the river of its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Now, it's interesting. There are different kinds of trees, too. Catch that. And each tree has 12 kinds of fruit. That's why I'm saying. It's not just, just 12 kinds of fruit everywhere. It's all kinds of trees with all kinds of fruit with each tree. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. Because they're, they're by the river, right? And they're the, it's the river of life. They will bear every month. They will bear every month because their, their flows from the sanctuary the water flows where? From the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. There's that healing again. The leaves for healing. Quite interesting. Now, we don't know for sure what kind of fruit was on the tree of life in the garden of in Eden. If it's the same tree, which I think it is, it was probably 12 kinds of fruit. One each month. Uh, the Jews, uh, they felt they were, they said they were, it was an olive tree. It was an olive tree. And it's interesting because they picture it as being an olive tree. Jewish tradition says the tree of life in the garden was an olive tree. And uh, they use, they say, hey, when Noah, you know, was given the olive branch from the dove that came back, it was a sign of life. So they draw that connection and said it was probably the olive tree. I think it was probably a tree with not just olives, perhaps olives. You know, my wife loves olives. If they, I, I kind of like olives, you know. If they're there, I might have a few, you know. But uh, my good Italian wife loves olives. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I, I hope it's not just an olive tree, you know. <laughs> but just kidding me. But 12 types of fruit, there's going to be more than just olives if there's even olives on this tree. And there's all kinds of trees, like I said. So we don't know exactly. Uh, but it's interesting that they say the olive tree, that it was an olive tree. It's possible. Uh, now, fruit is incredibly nutritious, right? And so tasty. But there's also the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know? And what kind of fruit was on that tree, you know? Uh, we don't know for sure, but 
Jewish tradition says it was figs because there's an ancient Jewish writing that's, that's not a biblical writing that states specifically, and the name of that book, for you, those of you who are, uh, the name of a, a book is in the ancient Jewish tradition, uh, I'll give it to you in a minute as soon as I find it, but uh, they believed it was figs, and they teach in this extra biblical book that Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves upon themselves to hide their nakedness because they, after all, had eaten from that same tree, and they took the tree, the, the figs from the tree of knowledge, the fig leaves, that is, to cover themselves. We don't know that. Don't leave here saying, ah, oh, you know what I've learned today? The tree of life has olives on it, and the, and the, and the tree of knowledge of evil has figs. No, I'm not saying that. That was just what the Jews had believed. We don't know. And the Bible says not to go beyond what's written, right? But it's, it's interesting to look at what people believe and the reasoning behind it and so forth. But it's really interesting uh, to me because uh, when they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, how is it that they then, they sinned, they rebelled against God, and then they became knowledge of a good and evil? Well, guess what? What was the knowledge of good and evil? The knowledge of good and evil was they, began, they became sinners. They realized what it meant to be in rebellion to God. That's what evil is. They became aware that they were in rebellion to God and their conscience has pricked them that we're doomed. We've, we've sinned against our creator and they felt horrible. And now, they were, they, now God was already aware of good and evil because he created even Satan and the angels before he created man with volition, free will. And when Satan and the angels rebelled, that revealed evil. Well, now it was manifested among the human race. Now, it's interesting. Kids are constantly, you know, getting into trouble, you know. And when you're little, when you have, if you have little kids, you know that you constantly have to correct them. You have to discipline them. You have to steer them in the right direction. Uh, when I told you last week that Lisa, I didn't tell you one thing last week that was probably pretty pertinent to our little story, is that when Lisa, I, I told you when Justice fell down and and he was in our little bunk in our little trailer, and he, he fell down, and he didn't know he was even in the bunks there because he came, went camped, he fell asleep on the way, and then he fell down, he's in this little tiny room with a closed door with, on a bunk, and his siblings are there, and Holly and Chad were in there, but all that he did, before he fell down, he just woke up, not knowing he'd been transported from the car into this bunk, and it was just an alien place to him. And if you were here last week, he, he said, this isn't right this is not right, you know, this is not right. Can you imagine being a little kid? You're like, where am I? He didn't know anybody's there, you know. Poor guy, later he falls down, you know. And uh, well, I told you that Lisa also said, I thought it was funny because weeks later, you know, a couple months later, Lisa's like, this is not right, this is not right. And what she did, she was on the ground because she was moving some stuff in our backyard and she popped her back and she's getting around now, but she couldn't get up for five minutes. And she finally got herself to the bed, and she's like, oh, no, you know. And she told me, I sit, laid there saying, this isn't right, because she was so thankful that she didn't have cancer, as far as we know. Thank you, Jesus, the test showed. Uh, colonoscopy, no cancer. Praise God so far. And uh, praise him all the time, but so far for that. And then, uh, but then she's like, I just got over that, and then this happened. But it's also not right, because guess what we're getting the next day? Holly and Chad's four kids for a week. <laughs> Ah, that's why she's thinking, this isn't right. But God always makes everything right, you know, even though we don't see it perfectly. So we had the kids from one Saturday till yesterday. 
Holly and Chad came by and picked them up. And, and I don't think they got a vacation or a break. <laughs> no, no, no. They had way more kids they were taking care of, and they were probably doing way more work than they're usually doing as a good fight. Blessed Hope had their first uh, youth retreat. Uh, that was a good fight retreat, not only for any of our kids that could go in high school, but also for other kids back east. And they were invited to come up there and share. And thank God for the, the team and everybody that went up there with them. Uh, so I'm sure you guys were really busy. They told me some glorious, glorious fruitful. What a beautiful time. It made me want to be there when I heard all that they were doing. It was just amazing. But it's interesting because the kids, you know, they get, it gets wild. You know, you had to contend with a couple different bloody noses, different kids. You have one kid chasing the kids on the trampoline with a rubber donkey that they, you can bounce on and walk, run, but you're not supposed to bring it on the trampoline. And he's like chasing them. And Ariella takes a dive off the trampoline, head first, hits the ground in her forehead. We're like, does she have a concussion? She's sleepy. She feels like she has to throw up. She's in tears. Uh, we dealt with that for a while, and then we were going to take her to the hospital, but later on in the evening, she perked up, and, and uh, she was laughing at Grandpa's jokes and stuff, so I'm like, okay, she's good. And then uh, everything was good there. Yeah, just different situations. You have, uh, they brought bow and arrows that they got from one of the uncles, you know, over, and I said, and they had two types. One was with those flat rubber plunger type things that you can shoot into the window and it sticks. I go, you guys can shoot that, you know, but you cannot shoot the other ones that have metal tips in my backyard. <laughs> well, when you tell a kid not to do something, you know, and one of the kids got grounded just a little bit because he shot one and it hit the other kid in the head because it hit the window and the kid was walking in the slider and it hit it as he walked in and danged his, the other kid's head. And I'm like, hey guys, you know, and then he was not to use his for a while. The other kid shoots in the backyard. He shoots in the house, to the house, and it goes, the other kid tells me, the other boy, you know what? And don't think, oh, yeah, of course it's the boys because Ariella and Galilee, they never do anything like that. Even Galilee can be full of mischief at times, and she's just so funny, you know, but he's got to keep you on a straight and narrow. And, uh, and, uh, but sure enough, hey, he shot an arrow into the yard. What kind of arrow? You know what I mean? Uh, a metal-tipped arrow. I'm like, again, I'm going to go back there because the house he shot it into has horses. I'm going to see a arrow sticking out a horse's rear end or something. No, I'm like worried. I'm like, uh-oh, Lord, you know, but thankfully he didn't do that. And I was like, I didn't hear it. You told him. Well, he told you what I said. I didn't hear him. You get all that stuff. And, and then I'm in my office. I'm like, it smells like smoke. I go out there and the other kid who didn't shoot the arrow is trying to light his arrow on fire to shoot flaming arrows like he sees in the movies. I'm like, Wow, Holly and Chad, I get greater and greater appreciation for their ministry and all they do in the midst of all this stuff, you know? And I'm like, okay. And then you're saying, you can't do that. And then they're crying and everything. And, and uh, you're hiding their bows. And then they find one of them and then use it, though. And it's like, this is just a little picture. There's a lot that went on that I can't even share. No, not worse than that, you know. But... But I told them, I said, you know what? The kids are far better than last time they were because overall they were great. I was like, man, they're getting older and a lot easier to, a lot less fighting and stuff and pretty obedient. But then every once in a while, you know how kids get, you know? So, uh, but kids are still discovering, you know, life. And it's easy for them to, you know, they don't know and they're learning. And you have to teach them, the Bible says, to distinguish between good and evil. And I was able to use these as teaching moments at times. In fact, I gave, you know, Eli and Justice my, you know, teaching on how fire, sin is like fire and it burns and it'll burn you. And what fire does and how fires are very, very hard to put out. 
You know, we've got some firemen in this fellowship, right? I can see you right there, Eric. Well, I learned when I was a little kid because I like to play with fire when I was a little kid, you know? And, and uh, it's so hard to put out once it gets going. Once it, I mean, you're all saying it's like, you know, and it gets worse if you don't have the right things to put it out, you know? And I remember my dad, because he saw me as this little pyro in the backyard in what we called the digging place, lighting things on fire, he caught me. He came in and he lit a whole book of matches on fire. He's kicking around with his socks. See, it's nothing. His thing was to teach me that fire is nothing, no big deal. I got excited about it even more, you know? And that's our fallen nature, right? Uh, and then when I came to Christ, I realized, you know, uh, well, actually, I grew up a bit to realize not to play with fire like that, at least before I came to Christ. When I came to Christ, I started to realize God has something for everything. And I gave them the talk that a fire in a fireplace, when there's boundaries, God created it for, it's beautiful, man. It glows, it's warm, it can be romantic, it's precious. But outside those boundaries, I said, what if I lit this house on fire, or just the, 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 the you know, the furniture? They all agreed it'd be horrible. I go, that's, God's given us boundaries for a reason. He gave Adam and Eve boundaries for a reason. But death sets in and destruction sets in when you break God's moral boundaries. And it's interesting because rivers have boundaries, don't they? Rivers have banks. And what makes them beautiful is they're created by God and they're given boundaries. And the rivers that have boundaries, they're deep and and beautiful and pristine and there's trees along the banks and just birds and sounds and creatures and, and, and depth and beauty. You take those boundaries away, you get a swamp. There's all kinds of diseases associated with swamps and alligators and poisonous snakes and deadly things. Uh, and that's how it is in our lives. We need to make sure we have moral boundaries in our lives. God's moral boundaries, not things we make up as we go. And we, God's given us moral boundaries so our lives would be like rivers, channels of his river, the river of life. Now, we want to make sure that we don't get burned. By the way, that Jewish text is called the life of Adam and Eve, and that's the text that states that the knowledge of good and evil, that tree had figs, and they sowed fig leaves upon themselves from that tree. Uh, now, it's interesting. Why did God put on them? animal skins instead because the figs would, could hide them because they saw they were naked and be, they felt they were naked because guess what? They have a conscience now and they recognize their deficiency physically that they're sinners. They try to hide themselves. And the Lord says, yeah, you have a problem, but fig leaves aren't going to cover you, your sin. And he slew some animals because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Why? Because it said, the day that you eat, you shall surely what? Die. The penalty for sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sins will die. So guess what? We're going to die for our sins and be separated from God forever, or God is going to have to pay the price himself. And those animals that died were a picture, because they couldn't, no animal could die for your sins. You're not an animal. You're of high, greater, much higher value. Only God and the person of Jesus Christ can live a perfect life and die in your place. And that's what those animal sacrifices from the very beginning of Genesis were a picture of, that God would take the penalty of our sin for us so we could be forgiven, amen, and have eternal life. Now, it's very interesting, this puzzle about the healing, the leaves that were given for the healing of the nations. Uh, what is this tree about? I've looked at several commentators and so a lot of them just skip that part. Commentators in Revelation. 
Others will say things like, it's not, it's just symbolic. It's not real, not even real tree of life there. It's just, this is just symbolism. That's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Because when we read about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, was that just symbolic or real? That was real. There's no reason it would be symbolic. Others say that it's a real tree there, but the leaves that are healing for the healing nations are just symbolic of the healing that we've already received. Grant Osborne, really good commentator on the book of Revelation, says that it's symbolic of the healing we've already received. Many say that. I disagree with that. I'm like, no. He says the healing there is for, of the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It doesn't seem to be retrospective of something that already happened through the cross of Christ. There seems to be something more going on. A more sophisticated answer, which I believe is equally uh, false, is that there's two different groups of people in New Jerusalem, or I should say in the new heaven and new earth. There's one group that's already there, but then the nations that go into that are the nations that weren't redeemed with, with new bodies, and they're outside the city, and they can come into its gates, and to stay alive, they must partake of the tree of life. And, and they must be healed by the leaves of healing the nations so they can continue, and they're continuing to repopulate as well. And I scratch my head. I go, that's an interesting theory, but it really breaks down because it breaks down the eternal unity of, of God's people that was always the plan of the gospel to reconcile all things to himself. And it creates a lesser people. Also, it doesn't make sense because it's the overcomer in Revelation chapter 21, 6, and 7, which we start off with, that has access to what? The tree of life. Amen? It's those who wash their robes in chapter 22, verse 14, in the blood of Christ, that have access to the tree of life. And it's for all of us. Amen? It's not for a group of people that don't have resurrected bodies that have to eat it to stay alive. But they're trying to make sense of it. I understand what these guys are doing. And they're trying to make sense of why it would be needed for why it be called tree of life to sustain life and, and why leaves would be for the healing of the nations. At least they're trying to deal with the text. So, but I had, uh, that was what I was praying about. And that, that's, different things keep people, up, keep people up at night, you know. Sometimes I'm kept up because I'm praying for people. Sometimes I'm praying over a verse or trying to get a better understanding uh, of a text or what God's speaking or saying to me or maybe something in answer to prayer for things. And those are things we should all be praying about. But I was praying to have a better understand of what was going on here. I said, Lord, I don't have peace. And, and it's kind of interesting because I'm not saying I have the, you know, that the Lord said this is the specific answer, but I do believe I was given certain insights on the broader picture at least. And I think it's interesting uh, when you think of it in this whole puzzle of why, what is the, what's the answer to the puzzle and the healing uh, of the healing of the nations? Again, the problem is this is after the resurrection, only resurrected saints are there. Jesus talked about the resurrection and how we will never die. Amen? So why would we need the tree of life? And what kind of healing would we need? Tears and pain, all that's been wiped away. What kind of healing is afforded through these leaves? And it's interesting because I believe that, uh, and it's, this was really interesting, I believe that part of what's going on here is that We've been healed physically when we get resurrected bodies, amen? But even when we're resurrected, we're still not home yet. We're still home. We still are not home. Now, we're with Jesus at one point when we're resurrected, amen? And we reign with him, but we're not in New Jerusalem until after the thousand-year millennial period, right? Then there's a new heaven and a new earth. 
total healing, I believe, comes. Well, we'll be, won't we be fully just healthy? Absolutely. But we'll still be lacking something. Total and absolute intimacy with the Father and the Son in New Jerusalem will not take place until it happens in New Jerusalem. And God designed us to partake of the tree of life. Didn't he? Right? And if we're not partaking of the tree of life and the leaves, we don't have all that God had ordained for us. It's not until we have all that he's ordained for us that we have, we have total peace, but guess what? There is grace beyond grace. And I believe that comes from partaking of the tree of life and the healing that comes from the leaves. And I believe a lot of what that may be is that we're going to so be enthralled with the presence of God beyond the millennial reign even. At such a, it'll be such another level of beauty. It's almost like this. And there's one way this is it's what hit me is I knew that was, I think that was Saturday morning that this happened. Yeah, it was because we love our grandkids so much. We talk about how much you just love your grandkids and we had uh, four of them there through the week. And, but you know what? I knew they were longing. They're spending the week with us too. And they're longing to be with their parents because we're their home away from home, right? And their parents showed up I was thinking before their parents came, when their parents come, they're going to be so excited to see their parents. They haven't seen them for a week. And it's just beauty, beautiful. When they come home and you, you see them saying, you know, one of them's like looking out the window. They're, I think they're here. They're coming. They're all excited. Their parents are coming, you know. Holly and Chad are coming. And then they come in and you see uh, that the just, they love seeing them. And then, you know, of, of course, you know, Galilee, she's like clinging to Holly like so possessively. My mom, you know. And you, and you almost, and you, you do a typical play you do all week with her. It's like a little frown, like, get away, it's my mom, you know. That was funny. Like, oh, man. And so she just kind of gets settled in, but she's with mom. It's her home. And there's a different level of intimacy there, right? But guess what? Our home is a home away from their home. But, you know, even Chad Holly's home is a home away from a greater home. You follow me? The Father's home, New Jerusalem. As Jim said, I'm longing for home that I've never been to. And when they get to be with the Father, because we're still lacking. Us humans are so deficient. We're not perfect. We're far from it. Amen? So when we are in New Jerusalem and we're partaking of the tree of life, we're in the very state God created us to be in. Right? And the leaves that are there, just by being maybe in the presence of them, gives us a level of peace and joy and comfort that we wouldn't have the exact same way without them. Why have them if you don't need them? And by the way, why the tree of life? You partake of the tree of life and they'll partake of the tree of life. Why is it called the tree of life? God's ordained in his wisdom and knowledge to give us a tree that we'd be dependent upon for life. Well, I thought he's given us life through Christ, yes. But in New Jerusalem, that life is manifested in some spiritual way through partaking of the tree of life, which is really, really interesting. And it's interesting, how does this fit together? How does, that, how does this relate to us now in a big way? Because where does the water come from that produces the tree of life? The river of life comes from the throne of who? The Father and the Lamb. 
Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, you shall ask the Father. He goes, if you ask, you know, you earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts. You'll give good gifts to your children when they ask you for food. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask for them? The Holy Spirit is depicted throughout the Bible, not only as wind, and also through oil, but also through water. And the water, the Holy Spirit, comes from the Father and is mediated through Jesus. By the way, the water that comes from the throne, it's from the throne of the Father and who? The Lamb. You could not get water of life, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who water also symbolizes. I believe it's a literal throne and a literal river that's going to be just beyond anything you can imagine. Remember, this emerald rainbow around his throne. God himself, like a sapphire, described as like a sapphire in a radiant appearance in chapter 4. And on a sapphire throne, which is bright blue gemstones. This is going to be so beautiful in this cascading river from the mountain of God in New Jerusalem coming from his throne. And all these different trees bearing 12 kinds of, different kinds of trees bearing 12 kinds of fruit each month. It's going to be so wild. But I believe it's a literal, but I believe it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You cannot receive that, that water except from the Father and the Lamb. Why the Lamb? Because the Lamb speaks of sacrifice. And we could not receive the Holy Spirit to live in us in a deep personal way until Jesus was sacrificed. He says, the Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. And after he died and rose again as a Lamb of God, he dies. He's able to give us the river and breathe upon them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? because the lamb had to be crucified. And when Jesus was put death death on the cross and the soldier, the Roman centurion, shoved a javelin into his side, out came blood and what else came out? Water, a picture of the river of life that comes through the lamb and his death for our sins. He had to die for our sins and bear the curse, verse three, and become a curse for us, amen, so that we could partake of the water of his spirit and the water of life that comes from his throne, literally. Are you with me still? Because it's gonna get a little bit deeper. It's going to start to get a little bit deeper. Deeper Now, I wanted to understand, isn't it interesting? Like when Holly, kids, they want to see Chad, they want to see Holly really bad. But do you know we have a father and a mother in heaven? Okay, Jaws, with you until just now. <laughs> you do. You have a father and you have a mother in heaven. I'm not talking about Mary or some queen or some spiritual entity. I'm talking about Jerusalem. I'm talking about Jerusalem, the city. It's called a bride. He sees a bride coming out of heaven prepared for her husband. And we make up that bride. But the city is also called a bride. Yeah, bride, but not a mother, Joe. Yeah. Listen to Hebrews 12:22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Yeah, but where's mother there? Well, Paul writes in Galatians 4:26. Listen to this. Of New Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Jerusalem is our mother. You're never perfectly at home until you're with your father and your mother. And when we go, we'll be with the father. In what way, mother? Not a literal entity, not some goddess, that would be a heresy, but specifically what Paul says, New Jerusalem is our mother. When God created Adam, 
Adam is the first Adam, and he was wounded in his side to bring forth his wife named Eve, whose name is what? The mother means what? The mother of all came out of his side. Jesus, the second Adam, reverses the curse. His side is opened up to get his bride, the church. And guess what? We make up New Jerusalem, which is called a bride, but also called what? A mother. Amen? So God has created New Jerusalem where he is the all in all along with his son, but he's also created the city as a mother. Not a living, conscious being who takes care of us, but an extension through what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus is the one who what? Prepares a place for us. Are you with me? So guess what? My point is this. When we get to heaven, we will have, when Jesus comes to reign, we're going to be with him for a thousand years. Amen? Happy day. When we get to New Jerusalem, we're going to be with the Father. Heaven, New Jerusalem, it says, comes down to earth. That's another correction we need. A lot of people think we go up to heaven and live with God in heaven forever. That's not real true Christian teaching, although 90-some percent of Christians believe that. Yeah, we go to heaven, but heaven eventually comes to earth. New Jerusalem comes to the earth. Do you understand that? That's what it says in Revelation 21. And then we're with the Father, the Son, and we're, in the, we're part of the bride, and we're in the mother, which is New Jerusalem. How is she a mother? She's a mother in the sense that God makes that our home. Amen? Not in the sense of a person. I don't believe it's... So what I'm saying is that it's a, the most homey... What I'm saying is this. Women here that love Jesus, you're a picture of the bride of Christ. This is the beauty of this. What a beautiful picture they are of what Christ's bride is. We're one with Christ, one body. Guess what? Mothers, you're also a picture of New Jerusalem. Mothers that make their home a home. Mothers that, that make their home a home for their kids, that are there for them, that provide for them, that heal up their knees when they scrape them, uh, give them comfort when they feel sad or rejected by another child or another kid. Mothers that comfort them. We're going to have the ultimate comfort in New Jerusalem created by God and the Lord Jesus Christ, all accessible to us through the Lamb and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Are you with me today? Amen. It made me, that's the light that went on. That I do believe is from God because it says it right there in chapter four that Jerusalem is our mother and that she provides a motherly comfort for us and that mothers are a picture. God created mothers just like he created brides to be a picture, created Adam to be a picture of Jesus and Eve as a picture of the bride. He created mothers to be a picture of the comfort that we'll have in God's home for all eternity. Are you with me today? Now, it gets amazing, <laughs> more amazing even from here because the Lord's word says that in Psalm 38.6 or 36.8, listen to this, they will drink their fill of the abundance of your house. They will drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you give them drink of the river of your delights. What's his river called? The river of your delights. Wow. I looked at 40 different Bible translations to really understand river of what, man? And I, New King James has river of pleasures, 
river of your pleasures, your pleasures. Good news Bible, the river of your goodness. Net Bible, the river of your delicacies. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, uh, you will let them drink from your refreshing stream. Uh, it's just amazing. All these different cities have rivers. Egypt has the Nile. Nineveh had the Tigris. These ancient cities, Rome had the Tiber. Uh, Shanghai had the, it has still to, uh, Huangpu. Uh, France now has the, the Sin River. New York has the Hudson River. London has the Thames and so forth. Jerusalem, guess what Jerusalem had? Guess what Jerusalem's river was? No river. Big old mountain, Mount Moriah, where the temple would be built and the Messiah would be sacrificed. All those temple sacrifices would take place until the Messiah would come. The same place, who came to that river? Abraham, that river to that temple area. Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice. No river coming out of that mountain. But this is very interesting to me. Where's the river? Listen to this. Psalm 46.4, listen to what this says. Try to figure it out. The puzzle gets a little deeper. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. What? The city of God is Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. There's no, there's no river there. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The Net Bible says the river's channels bring joy to the city of God. The NASB says there is a river whose streams make the city of God happy. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. It's not the Jordan River. Jordan River doesn't go through Jerusalem. It's on the border of Israel. What river? What river is he talking about? Makes us glad. Remember in the Old Testament, they were grumbling for water. And what did God do? Had Moses hit the rock. And out of the rock came what? Water. 1 Corinthians 10 says that rock that followed them was Christ. That's why when Moses hit it a second time, it was, a, it, it was ruining the type in a way because the rock being hit was a picture of Christ being sacrificed where the water and the blood would come out of him and he'd provide us with his spirit. So they partook of the water because they were in the wilderness wandering. They were dying of thirst and the rock is hit and they partake. Then Moses gets angry. Do I have to do this? And he hits it again. God said, you shouldn't have done that. The rock in the water comes out of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting Jesus knew this whole deal. On the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews were celebrating on the eighth day. There's, every day they would get jugs and they'd go to the river or they'd go to the Pool of Siloam and they'd go take, fill those jugs with water and they'd go to the temple area and they'd put on the ground, they'd, they'd pour water over and over again. Every day. And they'd go to the Pool of Siloam. Now, they didn't have a river. Where were they getting that water? Well, you see, there was a spring far outside the city of Gihon, known as Gihon, G-I-H-O-N. And they bring water in from there to Jerusalem. But that's a lot of people to give water. It was really hard. And also, Hezekiah, king, was very concerned that his enemies could just cut off their water supply and just defeat Jerusalem easy. So guess what? Created an aqueduct in Jerusalem, and you could go and walk in when you go to trip to Israel. I've been through them. Hezekiah's tunnel. You have to lean down and, and walk through these tunnels because he created an aqueduct to stream that water from Gahon into Jerusalem. And then the pool of Siloam was filled up with that water and they'd get jugs, the priest, and on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would pour that water on the ground. And what's really fascinating about this is they looked at this as a messianic, messianic prophecy. And on the eighth day, Jesus was there on the eighth day watching this. And on the eighth day, what they would do is they'd say a prayer in anticipation of the coming Messiah. 
Do not be afraid, O Jacob. This is Isaiah chapter 44, verse two through four. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour, listen to this, I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate the parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit in your descendants and my blessings on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows of a river bank. Wow. So guess what? On the eighth day, uh, you know, they would be praying this Messianic Psalm about God pouring out his water and it refers to the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute, guys. It's ultimately a reference to the Holy Spirit and it's on that day that Jesus did this. Listen to what it says in John 7, 37 and 38. Now on the last day, that's the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What was he talking about? Very next verse, verse 39. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's because the lamb had not yet died and be risen. The spirit wasn't given yet. But the water he was offering them was the water of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to us today? Everything. Because you can partake of the river from the throne of the Father and the Son right now. Not the literal water that will be coming out of his throne in New Jerusalem, which will definitely be coming out. But the river of his Holy Spirit. And if you simply ask him, Father, give me more of your spirit, which we should be doing over and over again. Fill me up with your spirit, Lord. He will freely give this to you. Jesus said to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of this, of the water in that physical well, uh, that was going to make them thirsty. They'd still be thirsty. But of his water, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Amen? Amen. The shed blood cleanses from sin. His Holy Spirit coming into us gives us eternal life. Amen? Applies the blood to our lives, the Holy Spirit does, and then we have eternal life through the Holy Spirit living in us because he is the spirit of life. And we don't just have life. Jesus said, the thief comes to still kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have what? Life, and you might have it what? More abundantly. And that's what I'm telling you right now. The healing is more abundant life. We're already resurrected. We're never gonna die. But we partake of the river of life in heaven, we partake of the tree of life and its leaves, guess what? We have a more maximal fulfillment of life than we'd have if we didn't partake of them. And we're home in Mother Jerusalem with Father God, with our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in New Jerusalem, which is the mother, which is, Paul says, our mother. Are you with me? So, now, guess what? We are supposed to be like little trees of life before the world and blessing them because the Bible says in Ephesians 3.17 that we are rooted and grounded in God's love. Our roots go into God's love, amen? And the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness. And Jesus said, they who abide in me will bear what? Much fruit, amen? So what do we do as believers? We sink our hearts through prayer are you praying? You pray, you seek the Father through prayer, you seek him in his word, you, you get together with brothers and sisters in fellowship, and you bear more and more fruit, and the world is able to pick our fruit, the love, the peace, the joy, 
the gentleness, the goodness. And notice that we're different and they're able to see what it means to be a Christian and they're able to look at you and you're able to point back to the lamb and say, this water comes from the lamb who was slain for me, amen? This water comes from his throne and you can partake of this water too because Jesus invites you to it. And the Bible says, listen to this, Psalm 48 two, beautiful in elevation, holy, uh, the whole joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Psalm 36, 8, they feast on your abundance of your house and you give them drink, uh, the river of your delights. Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in loving kindness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Psalm 16, 11, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, 6, for you grant him blessing forever. You cheer him in the joy with your presence. Psalm 32, or Psalm 23, 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I can't wait, man. I believe there's gonna be rushing water in the river. I believe there'll be pools that you can wade in and just, it's gonna be special. I can't wait to get there and I can't par- wait to partake of the tree of life. But you know what? Right now, I'm not there. So right now, I wanna sink my heart and my roots deep into the Holy Spirit of God, amen? Through prayer, through thanksgiving, through worship, through abiding in his word so I can bear much fruit, peace, love, and joy in my life so I can be a blessing to my wife, my children, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my brothers and sisters throughout the world and the lost people in the world that need to see the life of Christ, amen, in this world. And that's what we all ought to be doing. Are you with me? I've got to skip several pages, but I'll work them in somewhere down the line, maybe. You guys, I love you guys. And uh, we went a little longer because we had a special ordination day today. Uh, and I was trying to still get done on time, but I had just too much goodness to share with you. Uh, are you excited about heaven? Can you see why it really is our home? We have our Father God, we have Jesus, and Paul says New Jerusalem, which is our mother. And it's just, it's, a, it's just, it's not a person in our mother, but it's a wonderful, wonderful place. It's more home than anything. The best thing you can imagine, magnify that by millions of times, and you'll start to get a small glimpse of how beautiful it is actually going to be. Amen? Let's long for that place. Oh, the third tree, it relates to the, uh, let's go ahead and pass out the cup and the bread. And as they're passing it out, understand what the third tree is. What's the third tree? We have the tree of life. Praise God for that. But then the tree of knowledge, human race was done in, man. But there's a third tree. That's the tree of the cross. The Bible calls the cross a tree in Acts 5, Peter and 1 Peter 2. The tree of the cross, it was made of wood. It was made of a tree. That's a tree, guys. Listen up. Don't get distracted. That's a tree of Mount Calvary, man. That's a tree Jesus, the lamb, died on in our place. Amen? So we can have access again to what? the tree of life. Are you with me? The tree of life? Praise God. Tree of knowledge? What a bummer. What happened there? Jesus dies on the tree of Calvary. He bears the thorns and thistles on his head, takes our penalty upon himself as the thorns are plunged into his head that grew up in Eden, and he becomes cursed, as it says in verse 3, there will be no more curse in New Jerusalem. Amen. Because ultimately we're healed, and ultimately we have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We already have eternal life if we're putting our trust in Jesus, amen? amen? We're already experiencing healing. And we'll experience incredible, you know, at the resurrection, we have redeemed bodies. And all I'm saying, and get the point here, about New Jerusalem, is she's called our mother, and there'll be another level of blessing that was intended in Eden, but even beyond that, when we're in New Jerusalem, our final destination. Are you with me? Amen. Praise God. Father God, 
praise your holy name.